When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Buccaneers episode 4 homecoming is over but we're just getting started. I'm gauche dove Sarah Carradine and she's never been my mother. It's Geneva Guadalupe. Hey Geneva. Hi Sarah. How are you? (laughs) It's true. I'm very well. I'm very well thank you. So we are recapping the Buccaneers week by week as the episodes drop with full spoilers for those episodes, but nothing ahead. Watch the series on Apple TV+. Plus. Subscribe to the feed so you don't miss a minute of our coverage. That's postshowrecaps.com slash Bridgerton or postshowrecaps.com slash Apple TV. And if you have a moment to rate and review, it makes a huge difference. Remember, you're rating and reviewing the podcast, not the show. Just saying. And five stars only, basically. Oh, yes. Five stars only. You know, it doesn't register when you do four or less. Did you know that? All right. Let's jump into the headlines, Geneva, and then we can discuss at our leisure everything we want to say about episode four. Sounds great, Sarah. In Cornwall, Guy is keeping the Duchess of Titangel company. She twigs that he is in love and urges him to let the girl know. Deeply in his cups, he composes a passionate telegram to Nan. Next morning, waking fully dressed and hungover, he rushes to retrieve it, but too late. It has been sent. This is what happens when you have good servants, right? He screams wordlessly on top of the convenient hill Conchita ran to. That won't have helped his hangover at all. In New York, Mama St. George, whose name is apparently Patricia, prepares a party to celebrate the return of her daughters and more importantly, their lord and duke, husband and fiancé. Mama St. George tells the girls she wants to show them off because she is their mother. Tremendous side eye from Nan shoots a cold dagger through Patricia. I think she knows. Mama Ellsworth tells her daughters, Lizzie and Mabel, that she is disappointed in them. She didn't bring back a husband from London. If they had done so, this extravagant party could have been hers. No one tells her that one daughter was sexually abused and the other is a lesbian. Let's put a pin in that secret. In Nan's bedroom, Patricia unwisely walks into a storm. I'm nobody to you. You've never been my mother, Nan tells her and storms out. Very teenage of her, but 
we understand. Downstairs, Lizzie bumps into Seadown, who says, I don't believe we've ever met. What a prick. Meanwhile, Lord Richard is loving New York. He feels so free. His wife, Conchita, is also thrilled. So naturally, they duck off for a quickie. Papa St. George, whose name delightfully is Tracy, finds Nan in his office. She's looking for the letter from her quote-unquote real mother that Ginny mentioned. Tracy is vague on any details about Nan's mother. He heavily implies she was a sex worker. Mabel and a maid flirt in an upstairs room. And just so we remember that romance stories always have speed bumps, Mama Ellsworth walks in just in time to see them kissing. Gay gasp. <gasps> Theo sees the telegram from Guy to Nan, and for some reason unknown to us and perhaps to the writers as well, he opens it. In a second bedroom encounter, Patricia and Nan reconcile with the glorious Christina Hendricks trying but failing to make her badly written I was always your mother speech work. However, Nan buys it, which is the only important thing, and rushes off to tell Theo the truth. Theo and Nan also find privacy to kiss Bigley. He says he loves her and she forgets to tell him the secret. In case we had forgotten that Sidan is a raving sociopath, he demands that Ginny ask her mother to apologise to him for insulting him with the gaudy display of this party. And when Ginny does so, publicly for some reason, he swoops in to undercut her and declares the party to be wonderful. Richard tells Conchita he can't move to New York. She says she won't let Minnie, remember they have a plot contrivance, oh I'm sorry, I mean a baby, she won't let Minnie be extinguished by his family and he has a choice to make. Dun, dun, dun. Patricia and Tracy's marriage is not a happy one. Lying stiffly in bed, she asks him if he told Nan who her quote-unquote real mother is. Aha, we knew there was more to the story, did we not, Geneva? In the next episode, everyone will return to England. Get us started, Geneva. What did you think about episode four? Wow, it was a mess. It was chaotic. Yes. There was a lot. There was a lot that was going on there. And even this is very small. Like you said, we find out the names of the St. George's, you know, Patty and Tracy. And I'm like, okay, great. Now, now we're learning more. I don't know why it's taking so long for us to get certain people's names. I feel like the show is treating it like it's supposed to be suspenseful, but I'm just like, no, I just need to be able to follow along with the plot line. So you just need to tell me their names and only the subtitles are really telling me some of this information that I wish that I was just getting from y'all saying this information. So that was one thing. Yes, it was curious. And I wonder if I should should have looked it up before we get on the podcast. Uh, Perhaps one of our listeners will inform us, but I wonder if these names come from Edith or whether they have been supplied by these writers. Hard to know. Tracy is such a particular name for a man. I, I feel it would have come from Edith. Yeah, I feel like it it probably would come from Edith. Otherwise, I'd be I guess I'd be curious to know why the writers of the script would, you know, I think choose the names that were chosen. Cuz I do think both are mm-hmm. very interesting too within the context. So, I guess I would just be intrigued to know what what was the thought process. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because if you go to any cast lists on IMDb or anywhere else, they're called Mrs. St. George and Mr. St. George. So maybe maybe the writers of those lists also missed that they have they have names. Let's talk about their relationship. One thing I very much liked about this episode is it opens with Tracy asleep in bed. Patricia gets up with her hair in little curlers and sets out his medals and his hanky and his pocket watch and his glasses. And at the end of this extraordinary day, she is going to also be in her curlers and night clothes as he sleeps in bed and she's going to touch all his objects. Did you like this sort of framing? We understand much more when we see the actions again than we did at the beginning. Yeah, no, I I enjoyed it very much. I was like trying, I think I was trying to get a sense of in their relationship and really how, I guess, Miss St. George, I guess, has kind of served as a support or just kind of has been there um, throughout a lot of the stuff that she's had to deal with within this marriage, um, especially as it pertains to her husband. Um, So I think just kind of her showing there's that sort of also respect for his own belongings, you know, putting them away, you know, putting them out, that sort of thing. I think just kind of seeing that from at the beginning and then at the end um, was quite an interesting contrast. Yes. I mean, she does say at the end that she's had enough. She's going to leave. And he tells her, who would have you? So we see a little bit of a parallel between his poor behaviour and C. Downs, although he doesn't appear to be sociopathic, just misogynistic man of of his time, his and our time, I think, mm-hmm. you know, controlling, able to do whatever he likes as the family is run by his wife at home. She says to her daughter, you know, none of us actually know what we're doing. Uh, we don't feel like adults ourselves, but sometimes we have to be adults. What did you think of her decision then to continue with her unhappy marriage and be the adult? I mean, I think it's she's in a challenging position because in some ways it's kind of like she doesn't have a choice. She doesn't really have that sort of agency and independence that one would hope or one would have probably now. Um, You know, I think, unfortunately, you know, I think Mr. St. George kind of made a point that just the way that she would be perceived as unmarried or as separated from her husband is just an unfortunate reality where she probably wouldn't be taken seriously, would be ostracized, would not have that sort of mobility that he would have as an individual, as a single man. So I think she's kind of in a difficult position where she, you know, after reflection, there's not much that she can do except go to bed, you know, that night and just kind of move forward, even though all of this sort of uh, these, you know, I think these conflicts transpired and bubbled up where she realized it's not worth it to be with him. But there's really not much she can do. Do you think any of it is to do with keeping respectability so that her daughter Nan can marry a duke, that that it would be difficult for Nan? I mean, Ginny's married, so she's tick, tick the box, she's cooked. Do you think that she is considering Nan's prospects when she decides Uh, silently to continue the marriage I think that it's probably a factor I think when we think about how um Patty was emphasizing so much in this episode for Nan to stay silent 
about how um about you know her her secret and not telling Theo because in reality by telling Theo it probably would not turn out well even though one would hope that maybe in this sort of love story that he wouldn't care but obviously we don't know yet if he were to find out the secret how he would respond but I think that any little thing that would potentially prevent this marriage from happening I think in some ways might fall on you know I think Patty's responsibility even though obviously you know the the father is is the, is the main reason a lot of this has happened but I think the challenge here too is the fact that Patty has kept this whole secret so um you know Nan just feels like her life is a lie and she can't trust this woman because she hasn't been honest with her and this whole time she thought she was her mother but she wasn't so I think she does feel like there's probably some form of responsibility that she owes to Nan, especially even more so now that she knows that Nan knows the secret. Yes, so. yes, yes. And that controlling of who knows. She does say, do you love him? Nan says, yes. And she says, well, don't hurt people that you love. And the show has given us an idea of how he would react. I mean, Guy, similar, aristocratic young man looking for a wife, he fled from her in in fear yes he came back the next day but we do have we and nan have that experience of what telling a young man at a romantic prospect what telling him will do to their relationship so while she's determined to tell theo and not have a secret between them it it just comes to it and she can't because theo says he loves her now what we know that she doesn't know is that he's just read this passionate declaration of love from Guy. Why did he open the telegram? Did you, did I miss something? Did I look away? Was I sipping tea at the time? Did did it make sense to you? So I think part of it was, if I was, if I saw this correctly, I think the telegram, like I said, it was from Guy and it was specifically for Annabelle so I think because of that Theo of course got a bit nosy and was like well why would my best friend be writing a letter to Nan I don't understand what that's about however of course I was irritated that Theo opened the letter because it wasn't for him technically that's illegal to be opening people's mail if you know you're not so not if you own them Geneva not not if they're your property (laughs) yeah you know I guess Gosh, gosh, Sarah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. You're, you're speaking some of the unfortunate truths here. But in this in this particular case, it was definitely frustrating. But I'm like, of course, something like this would happen. And of course, Theo won't tell Nan about it. So it's yes. just frustrating. I mean, it's one of the tropes of this sort of romantic novel or this sort of romantic show that things are overheard. That's one of them. I try to tell you something, but you tell me something first, and then I now can't tell you. You say, and what were you going to say? And I say, oh, no, no, I've forgotten all. Oh, it doesn't matter. So people trying to tell people and being cut off. And the other is this sort of finding of written evidence, whether it be a diary, a letter, or in this case, a telegram. I was just curious that Theo didn't seem to hesitate before he opened it but perhaps that's his his feeling of entitlement well yeah I don't know it's it seems a little bit strange but I guess in that regard he was probably like what 
could he be writing about? So he was just being too nosy. And maybe he feels that if he gave it to Nan, maybe she might not tell him what's in the letter. So maybe he felt like that was his only chance. But I kind of wish that at least he maybe read the letter or something, figured out a way to, you know, I guess seal it, put it back together and gave it to Nan. So like, if at least he's going to invade her privacy, like she at least gets the letter. But, um, you know, I think we'll get a sense on how this letter, I guess, what comes of it in probably the next coming episode. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see um, whether like Nan will find out or what's going to happen. Cause it, obviously it's challenging. Cause the guy was like, Oh, I don't want this letter to go out. And they're like too late. We've spent money like on, on this, you know, transcribing it. it. So, <laughs> so it's long. So too late. Sorry. Um, yes. So I did. I, lo- I did love the showing of the mechanics of how a telegram went across the Atlantic. I, I, I that I do like a procedural, and we saw the, the 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 typing and then the furiously running boy with the cap who brought the telegram. I mean, it can't be the last that we see of it. But I also wonder about the relationship between Theo and Guy. So far, we've seen it as you know boyhood friends, steadfast friends. This is obviously going to put a kink in that but I wonder if we'll see some underlying other tensions that were present because again I com- I complained last week about things being surface their relationship is sort of surface boys you know best friend boys so I think there's a little bit more to it than that so hopefully we'll see that uh, unfold in the next few episodes if it's not just to remain on the surface Let's talk yeah. about this party. A lot of it, there's a lot of talk about taste and what's gauche and what's not gauche. And they have doves in a cage, and they but they don't have a heron. And Sea Down says it's gaudy and tasteless, and other people are saying it's wonderful. I was surprised to see it was in the afternoon. I liked it being an afternoon party. They were wearing evening gowns, but I'm going to let that go. I did say last week. We're going to let all those anachronisms go. What did you think of this party? Did you want to be there? I mean, why not? I love parties. I love the opportunity to <laughs> dress formally and go out, have fun. Two weeks two weeks ago, I was at a wedding and it was a, a grand formal affair. It was fun. Um, so, yeah, I would say I would have probably liked to be at this party. Um, you know, I guess thinking about maybe the time of day, maybe in their head, they were hoping this party would be so grand, so successful. It was going to run into the night. Um, Mm -hmm. But as we kind of see, you know, it kind of ends a little probably earlier than anticipated. So maybe that was the thing people were really dressed for later. And since they wouldn't have time for a, you know, outfit change, uh, people just Mm -hmm. dressed formally from the beginning. I'm just trying to create some justification. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, the great thing about wearing evening wear for the uh, ladies is it gives you an opportunity to uh, showcase the girls, let us say, and none more gloriously than the wonderful Christina Hendricks, who uses them to great effect, uh, including us going, Tracy, how could you look anywhere else? Like she's, the boobs are hypnotising. I, I can't think of another way to say it. But, you know, everybody's got their boobs out in the wonderful cleavages of the time. And I must say it's very alluring. And the men being dressed up, it's all very alluring. 
I have to say when there was the tower of champagne cups that was being filled with champagne from the top, I said, oh, that's a bit déclassé. And then, of course, the great thing is that other people thought that it was a vulgar display as well. And I thought, oh, show, you got me. Yes, it was what you, it's what you meant it to be. And there's a wonderful moment where Patricia announces to the to the people, as you've indicated, she doesn't give a fig what anyone thinks. The party is beneath even her, and she storms off with her friend, Mama Elmsworth. So I did enjoy her in this. I I did fear last week that she was going to be underused. Nothing in this episode made me feel that she is not going to be underused, but she is she's acting acting the walls off that that house and that party. I do enjoy watching her. Now, I was a little rude about the speech she gives about you've always been my child. Did you, were you got by that? Did you did you did you fall under her spell there? Mm, not really, but I think that I think that of course she cares about her daughter, you know, in some capacity, but I think as we've kind of seen, I think even although people, I guess, have changed their tune within the whole party of whether they think it's worth being at or not, including her, um, I think that a lot of the focus has been like, oh, we have to impress all these people. Like, I'm doing this for you. But I think the thing is, it didn't really feel like a lot of the things that she was doing, like hosting you know, this event, um, you know, for her daughters was really for her daughters. It's really more to impress all these people. And even, I guess, just how she just kind of basically in some, I don't know, I feel like she kind of forgave Mrs. Paramore, even though I feel like Mrs. Paramore was like not very nice to her in the first episode, mm -hmm. but now all of a sudden she's paying attention to their family because all of a sudden Nan is about to potentially be with the Duke. So uh, Miss Paramore changed her tune and is like, oh, yeah, you guys are doing well for yourself, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, I mean, I feel like she just feels like she has to do all this impressing people and has this sort of, um, I guess, maybe, you know, reputation to try and uphold, especially considering their different perceptions of them. But I also yeah. wish she kind of seeked input even from Nan or Ginny. Like, is this something you guys would want, right? Um, although I guess we'll probably talk about how Seton kind of uh, made Ginny or said to Ginny, like, oh, I hate this. And then she goes and says, he doesn't like this. This isn't respectful. You need to apologize. And then he's like, oh, you know, like everything is great. It's wonderful. Um, so obviously that bothered me because I'm just like, yes. now Ginny literally embarrassed that. herself. Yes. I don't know. It's just like Ginny literally embarrassed herself in front of everybody. And then, then I guess everyone was trying to find ways to kind of say like, oh, you know, you know, things are, it, it's, you know, trying to justify like, oh, it's okay. Like, you know, something happened in your head, you know, like sort of things. I don't know stuff like that, where it just kind of got a little annoying to me because I'm just like, okay, do you really have an issue with this party? Do you not have an issue with this party? Um, it's coercive control. So C-Down is uh, using one of the tools in the coercive controller's handbook, which is to isolate someone from their family. 
So he tells her to front her mother publicly and then he undercuts her. And this is just so perfect. I must say whatever else my critiques are, the writing of this character and the performance of this character are absolutely note perfect. And this young man, Barney Fishwick, marvellous name. Barney, Mm. you're doing a brilliant job because he's not overplaying it. He important traits of, of any character. And so everything that he does that we've seen so far is small but very, very, very telling. And I, I feel like it's a very consistent character and we can see that his hold on Ginny and his control of Ginny is becoming stronger and stronger. He's not raving. He's not throwing things around. He's not shouting. He's not twirling his moustache, not that he has a moustache. So I think this is, you know, whatever my other critiques of the writing is, this character is very well written and I would say that the acting has elevated it uh, beyond even the writing. So this for me was a wonderful sort of piece of theatre arranged by Down in order to continue and extend his control over Ginny in the separation of between her and her family. I just thought it was so well done. You know, I, I, I agree. I, when a, when an actor and when a character can make me repulsed by them, that tells me that they're doing a really great job. If I, if the, if basically their acting performance has some sort of effect on me and just every time I see him, I'm sickened by him. Um, and just like literally the facial expressions he makes, like when he's like staring at either Lizzie or just anyone or just like out into the distance, I'm just like, what is up with this man? Yeah, like there's no one home. It's really frightening. Whenever he's on the screen, I agree, I get very tense. Even talking about him, I've got butterflies in my tummy. I don't know what he's going to do next. Uh, so this is this is very successful. I mean, I called when Christina Hendricks is talking, when, I'm sorry, I should call her by her character name, when Patricia and Nan are reconciling in the bedroom and there's a great long speech about, you know, I was always your mother and I kissed your fingers and all of that. I felt the sentiments were all correct, but I didn't, I felt nothing at all. And it felt very, um, I don't know whether it was overwritten I think she was doing her best with the material, but I think the material failed her. Did you, were you moved at all by this declaration? I was always your mother. I carried you in my heart. You know, I looked into your eyes every day, you know, this kind of uh, of thing. Did that scene move you at all? Um, I don't know if the scene particularly moved me. I do think, though, I like I understand where she's coming from because even though she isn't, Nan's actual mother she raised her as if she was her own child so yeah I I mean the sentiments are exactly right yeah the sentiment was exactly right it doesn't matter that I didn't give birth to you you are my daughter I am your mother but I just feel the writing was was very poor in this in this scene and consequently I was so aware of the actors trying to make it work that I, I was sort of taken out of the reality of that of what that moment would be yeah and then you know nan's always just like oh like just because but i think you know i think nan it's a difficult situation for her because she feels like she doesn't really fully know her own identity because she doesn't know who her mom is but 
it's very interesting because she's always saying things like, oh, you know, my eyes aren't yours, like my hands and my feet like aren't yours. So that makes me not yours. So we're not, you know, we're not mother, daughter. So that's just, that's it. That's it. But I think, you know, even though regardless of what has happened, and unfortunately, I I still would would have wished that even Nan's dad was a little slightly more transparent with who her mother is because I feel like Nan is probably just also going to feel frustrated still not having that sense of you know closure just a sense like I know he said the story like oh well this happened so as a result there's no way for you to really know who she is okay that's it bye I have a very strong suspicion of who her mother is Mm. Dun, dun, dun. Care to tell the uh, listeners or? Uh, well, I don't want to spoil anything, but I will say I feel we have been seeing her in every episode. That is oh, oh, okay. Mm. You know what's funny? As you say that, now I feel like I know who you're talking about. Okay. We will say it off, off, uh, off mic because I don't want to spoil it for the listener. And if I'm wrong, I can claim I was right. So, no, <laughs> I just got a very, there was a moment which I won't describe, and I went, oh, and I, oh. So I wonder if that is going to come true. Now, Richard and Conchita, let's talk about them. He is dancing wildly. He's very sort of high on life and freedom, and yet within an hour of saying that and dashing off for a quickie in a, in a cupboard, he tells her that he can't move to New York. Now, this I completely understand. I mean, I think they've done a fairly good job of showing the English aristocracy and the sense of duty, duty that's still really uh, a very strong flavour of the English character, what is your duty and doing your duty. And certainly a man of his time, the firstborn son, the lord uh, of his manor, can't possibly go running off to New York with the gorgeous dark girl. He has to be in the family, run the family and have power. What what did you think about this switch from I love New York, I'm so free to I can't possibly move to New York? I think that the idea of New York to him probably and understanding that Conchita has this connection with New York is important to him, right? But I think he thinks about the reality of where his life is, where his family is, his title, anything that he owns. He can't really just give that up and, you know, move. And I feel like when Conchita got with him, she likely had the understanding that most likely they would not be theoretically in New York. So I think probably for him, he just kind of had this realization that no, I have to be in this space. And I think maybe for him, New York is kind of a place of, I don't know, fantasy and um, maybe like a dreamland in some ways. But the reality is being back in the UK. What do you think, yes, Sarah? Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think it's that idea. I don't know, when you travel, you might go to Berlin and then you imagine that you're going to move to Berlin and you're going to get a wonderful atelier and you're going to go to all the marvellous clubs and you're going to wear black lipstick and it's all going to be amazing. But you don't necessarily do it. It's like a self, it's part of you, but it's a self that is also partly a 
fantasy. And it's wonderful to have those fantasies. But you are going to return home. Perhaps not. Perhaps you are going to run away to Berlin and wear black lipstick. I don't know. I don't know your life. But I I have a theory about power cities. There is, I live in Sydney, which is an amazing city. But there are certain what I call power cities in the world where when I am there, I feel powerful. I feel different. I feel like there's another part of me that's very fed by that city. I'm never going to, who knows what's going to happen in the future, but I'm not going to move there. But I enjoy being there because they give me a sense of myself that I don't necessarily get in Sydney. And what's nice is returning and go and trying to bring it back uh, with me. So for example, I was just in LA not a power city for me. I really enjoyed it, but not a power city. But every time I'm in New York, I've been visiting New York since the 80s, uh, every year or two, and it's a real power city for me. Power is a strange word, but I, I, I sort of can't describe it another way. I feel, I feel very much myself there, like some version of myself. But I know it's a fantasy. If I moved to New York, it'd be very, very different. <laughs> like it would be day to day and having to earn a living and having to deal with the, the subways and all of that. So. I feel when Richard talks about this freedom that he feels and we see him dancing joyously, I feel absolutely your your word fantasy was right, that he loves it, but it is a fantasy because he has his duties back in dull, boring, rainy, cold, old England. Yes. So anything else before we wrap up? Well, before we talk about what we think is coming next. So I guess, uh, how did, what did you think of when um, Mabel tried to bring up the situation that her mom walked in on? And Oh, yes. Good, good, good point. Well, very, very familiar, I think. The mother did not want to know. It was not going to be spoken of. And once she was married, it would all be forgotten. Not cruel? Well, I mean, it is. It's terribly cruel. But the mother feels she is not being cruel. She's not throwing her out. She's not screaming. She's not slapping. She's not pushing. She is forgiving, which may be worse than all the other things I said. Uh, Your daughter's a lesbo. That's not going to change. But to be forgiven for your queerness is somehow worse than, than all the other things. I think... This uh, actor has been sort of somewhat of a comic relief, sort of the the short, dark, fussy, funny one compared to the tall, gorgeous Pat St. George. And so I think in this moment she's able to really, the actor is able to really bring on board the depth and sensibility of that woman. And we understand that she thinks it's a kindness that she's doing. She thinks it's a kindness that she's not going to tell people, not going to shun her daughter. And that somehow makes, makes Mabel's plight just all the, all the more bad, all the more, all the, whatever I'm trying to say, worse. Uh, what did you think of that scene? Yeah, I mean, I kind of, in some ways, I can see why her mom just decided to be like, okay, I'm not really addressing it. We're just we're just going to move on from it. It happened, it happened, whatever, right? But I think considering it happened also for Mabel, I think she probably would have maybe appreciated some sort of, uh, some sort of response really towards it because I think it's something that she's kind of been 
tackling, especially as we've seen in the last, you know, few episodes with Honoria in the past. And so I think maybe, you know, her mom having kind of an understanding too of maybe why, even though it was more Lizzie in the forefront when they were in the UK, but just like kind of why things have happened the way that they've happened. So I just maybe didn't necessarily appreciate how her mom responded. However, I wasn't surprised that she responded that way, if that makes yes. sense. Yes. And what I liked about this too is we got the feeling perhaps that for Honoria, she'd never realised that she was queer. She'd never seen she'd never seen a woman that she wanted as much as she wants Mabel. But with this uh, kissing of the maid, who asks her, are they are they more like us in England? Obviously, this is a previous relationship or dalliance or whatever you want to call it. We understand the power sort of power imbalance there where um, Honoria is what you would call a baby dyke and uh, Mabel's slightly more experienced. So uh, that is going to be interesting going forward. I did say last time that I hoped they would give some, you know, depth to the queer relationship this makes me hope that there will be more depth uh, because we're seeing the the difference in each of their experiences of these two women and also this awful almost she's almost glad her mother saw it and yet her mother shuts down any discussion or acceptance of her daughter and I think this could have you know big consequences it's certainly why she's pleased that they are all going to London now yes because Lizzie is what do you think she'll go oh what do you go well she's gonna go so that's gonna be exciting so I would assume that that means that um at first I wasn't sure what things would be like for you know Honoria and Mabel but it looks like there's a possibility that they will reconnect because um Mabel is headed back with Lizzie um because also, I think a thing to note that was interesting about some of the conversations in this episode was that um, their mom was basically saying that she wasn't going to send Mabel alone without Lizzie because she doesn't want people talking about how her daughter's on different continents and that could present some issues. Um, so, but Lizzie basically agrees that she'll go back to England with the girls, you know, to be with Ginny and I'll find a husband if I can. Um, And then that presents, you know, the opportunity for Mabel to go back. So I'm excited for that. I'm glad because honestly, I really like Lizzie. Um, So I'm also really glad that we know we will be seeing more of her because at the time I wasn't sure also if we were going to be seeing her at the beginning of this episode, but we did. So that was also really great when they had that sort of reunion with Lizzie and everyone would kind of figured out, Oh yeah, you're here. Oh my goodness. Um, so I think, so I'm excited for that to see what will happen there. Um, will, I mean, will Lizzie meet someone? I guess that's a question. Or will she be still dealing with the challenges that she's had with Seton? And like, how is she going to essentially tackle and respond to that? Watching Ginny um, with him and being in that same space, I think will also be interesting to find out and see. Yes, I, I, like, I like that they're all upping sticks and going, back to England they all came over to New York now they're all going to England they're kind of pinging backwards and forwards for all my criticisms I want to see the next episode so they've got me with the plot put it that way if nothing else the gowns and the plot uh making me look forward to the next episode 
So you might like to consider becoming a Post Show Recaps patron like me, get early access to podcasts as well as Patreon-exclusive podcasts. You can sign up at patreon.com slash postshowrecaps or postshowrecaps.com slash Patreon. Any level gives you access to the Discord and merch is available at higher levels. But if you just want merch, a gown, a fan, a champagne flute, head to the store. I don't know if they've got those. They might have other things. Postshowrecaps.com slash store, your place to buy all your Postshow Recaps merchandise. So, Geneva, what do you have going on and where can the people find you? I'm just tweeting about all the shows that I'm watching, Sarah. Um, so you can follow me at Peace Love Jen on um, Twitter and find out about all the shows I'm watching in my life. Um, by the time this drops, uh, the next day, the 16th, is my birthday. So I'll probably be going oh, around. Happy birthday. Thank you. I'll probably be going around getting all the free birthday stuff. If people have not been doing that, where you sign up for all those fun mailing lists and get free things, you really should do that for your birthday for once. It's really great because you deserve to not spend money on your birthday. And so I like to go around (laughs) to a variety of different places on my birthday and get free food, drinks, etc. So would recommend, Sarah, if you have not tried that before. A top tip from Ms. Guadalupe. Where can people find you, Sarah? What's going on with you? Well, people can follow me if they would like to do that, at Sarah Carradine on all the things. Here on Post Show Recaps, I'm covering A Murder at the End of the World with Latonya Starks and The Artful Dodger with Brooklyn Zed. The Our Flag Means Death crew are interviewing season two costume designer, the award-winning Australian designer, Gypsy Taylor. So watch for that towards the end of this week. Watch the Buccaneers episode 5, Failed Betrayal, and send us your comments and questions. For now, just remember, don't give a fig about what people think. Ah.